0: Before we tackle the uh, subject which is before us this evening, I just wanted to help set your expectations. We've got about 30 to 35 minutes, which isn't long to deal with what is a fairly weighty subject and one that has significant pastoral implications. So, I wanted to just say two things by way of introduction. Firstly, I'll put together a fairly extensive resource list which will be available at the end, uh, lots of books to read and things to listen to that will hopefully put a bit of flesh on the bones of some of the things that we're thinking about this evening. And secondly, just to say that this session isn't the end of the conversation, it's the beginning, it's just a springboard Let's not be naive enough to think that we're going to deal with an issue like this in a 30-minute session. We're not. We want to create this culture within church life where we walk alongside each other as believers and support each other in all the different struggles and challenges of life. And so tonight, hopefully, is just the beginning of this conversation that will continue um, throughout the year. So hopefully that sets our expectations a little bit uh, for what lies ahead. I'm just going to read some words from the Lord Jesus from John chapter 8 verse 34 and 36 and I'm going to pray for us uh, that Jesus would help us as we look at this subject this evening. Jesus says in John 8 verse 34 he replied very truly I tell you everyone who sins is a slave to sin and then in John 8 verse 36 he says so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray together for God's help. Father in heaven, we see a warning and we hear a wonderful promise in those words. We acknowledge that sin can have an enslaving power on the human heart. It can draw us to do things that we would rather not do. We know that the power and the influence of sin may remain strong in our hearts. Yet, Lord Jesus, we hear that wonderful promise from your own lips that if the Sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as we look at this subject this evening, which for many will have an enslaving impact in their life, it will be holding them. It will be on their minds so much of the day. We pray that the liberating power and the truth of the gospel will be known and experienced in their lives, and indeed our own lives, as we battle in a whole host of different ways in this world of sin. So would we know that wonderful forgiveness? Would we know that wonderful freedom? And would we know that wonderful fulfillment that comes in trusting the Lord Jesus? So help us, Lord. Give us ears to hear this evening. In the heat of tonight, give us minds that are attentive, and we'll apply ourselves to this subject and hearts that will be lifted by the promises within your word. And we pray all this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I think it's fair to say that that pornography in its different guises has been in the world ever since the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3. But in the last 20 years, we've seen an explosion in both the amount of material and the numbers of people accessing that material. The porn industry as a financial beast, as a financial entity, is now bigger than Microsoft, Google, eBay, Amazon, Yahoo, and Apple combined. And this growth in recent years has been sparked by what the psychologist Alvin Cooper referred to as the triple A of accessibility, affordability, and anonymity. You see, if you were to turn the clock back just 20 years, the only way to access pornographic material would have been to walk physically into a store or a video shop and exchange financial currency at the risk of being seen by other people. But of course, 20 years on, we live in a very different world. There are now an estimated 42 million websites that are available at the touch of a button. You don't even need to leave your own room or your house. It's there on your tablet and your mobile phone. It's easy to get hold of accessibility. It's free to get hold of affordability. And nobody even needs to know about it. Anonymity. The human heart, of course, in all those years has not changed. But what has changed is the availability of the material that is out there. Here's a few stats that may or may not shock you. By 2017, a quarter of a billion people are expected to be accessing mobile adult content from their phones or tablets. That's an increase of more than 30% since 2013. 66% of men in that 18 to 34 age bracket said that they looked at porn at least once a month. And men look at pornography more than any other subject on the internet. But if we were to think that this was just an issue and a struggle for men, then we'd be very wrong because it's an increasing issue for women as well. According to a study published in the Journal of Adolescent Research, 49% of young adult women agree that viewing pornography is an acceptable way of expressing one's sexuality. And about 1 in 5 women, that's 18%, apparently use the internet for sexual purposes every single week. And that goes hand in hand with the growing demand for fancy novels such as the Fifty Shades of Grey series that became a number one bestseller in both the UK and the US. It is a series of books that glamorizes sexual control and manipulation and seduction. You see, whether we're looking at images in a magazine or or something on the television, or whether we're reading stuff that transports us in our mind to another world and sends us to a healthy place, we've got to accept that this is both an issue for men and for women. And if we were to think it was just an issue out there in the world, but hadn't encroached into the life and people of the church, then we would be wrongly again. In a survey recently carried out by Christianity Today, it was found that 50% of men, 20% of women, Christian men, Christian women, as well as 30% of church leaders struggle with pornography. Let me say those stats again. 50% of Christian men 20% of Christian women and 30% of church leaders admitted to struggling with pornography. They're pretty frightening statistics, aren't they? Especially when you apply them to a room like this. Now, of course, I don't know whether they're a fair reflection of what is here this evening, maybe, maybe not. But what they certainly do suggest is that this has been or currently is or will be a significant issue for many people in the room, hence the importance of thinking biblically and practically about this subject this evening. And if you are sat there, praise God, saying, do you know what, this has never been an issue for me, never, not once, not been an issue at all then please don't be naive because the chances are someone very close to you, a good friend, a family member, a child, or even a parent is struggling in this area. And you know what? It may just be your job to understand the reality of this world better and to be able to speak the gospel into it for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. going to be just three sections as we work our way through this evening. And the first one is the reality. Porn damages, distorts, and deceives. That's the reality. Then we come to the remedy. Jesus forgives, frees, and fulfills. And then we turn our attention to our responsibility. We're going to get practical and put into place a battle plan that will help us and each other walk alongside each other in life and support each other in what can be a very difficult subject for many so let's take a look at the reality together porn damages distorts and deceives tim chester in in his book which is mentioned on the references that you can pick up later uses this little phrase of looking beyond the frame You see, when you look within the frame, whether it's a still picture or a rolling movie, you are presented with a a beautiful, smiling woman or a happy couple enjoying brilliant sex. But beyond the frame, behind what you see going on, it is a very different story indeed. As you see here from the quote on the screen. Alcohol, cocaine, heroin, crack, and crystal meth blaze through porn workers' bodies, burning through nearly every dollar they make. The purpose of high-powered drugs for most porn performers is to numb themselves, enabling them to blurrily fast-forward through the punishment they're putting their bodies through so that their minds can't catch up with the consequences until much later, assuming they live that long. Elsewhere you read of how common it is for these so-called performers or actors when they when they come off stage to throw up before being wiped back down and sent back out smiling before the cameras. You see, beyond the frame, it's anything but glamorous. It is horrendous. Don't be fooled by the smile on the screen. And don't be fooled into thinking that we're not complicit. Simply by clicking on a link on a screen, we are fueling this industry. Porn quite clearly damages those who produce it. But it also damages those who consume it. Look at what this one individual said who was interviewed on the subject. Porn wrecked me. It's not as though I recall a particular movie that I watched, but the general debasing of sex, as God intended, is burned into my mind. That's what the Apostle Paul had in his mind when he was speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Speaking of those whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. People's consciences that have been so badly burned and seared by what they've seen that they struggle to determine right and wrong, not just in this one area of life, but it impacts every single dimension of life, not just this one area of sexual purity. Porn damages the producers who produce it. It damages those who consume it, and it damages also a whole network of relationships, We could talk about what porn does to marriages. We could talk about what porn does to damage possible future relationships. We could talk about the damage it does to relationships within the church. You see, if you're objectifying someone on the screen one minute, then you walk into church the next, it's very, very difficult to treat that person as a brother or sister in Christ because you've objectified the opposite sex on the screen maybe just moments before. Porn has a disintegrating effect on all these different myriad of relationships, and there's a lot more that could be said, but maybe most significantly, porn damages our relationship with God. Do you remember what the first thing was that Adam and Eve did when they sinned against God in Eden? Do you remember what they did? What did they do? They hid, didn't they? In shame. They hid from each other and they hid from God. You see, when individuals are caught up in pornography, like any other sin, the natural instinct then is to hide from God. People stop praying. They stop reading their Bible. They stop living in loving accountability relationships for fear of being exposed. And that's a very dangerous place to be in. As one individual commented on the subject, it made me feel like not approaching God for a while. I know my justified status before God doesn't change, but it's difficult to be in touch with that truth experientially if you find yourself continually indulging in the things that you know he hates. Porn damages And it damages people physically, it damages them emotionally, it damages them relationally, and it damages them spiritually. But it doesn't only damage people, it also distorts God's good design for sex. You see, porn encourages people to view other people as objects As Tim Chester again says in his book, we are king consumer, clicking through the web pages until we find the product that meets our specification. What a horrible word that is, product, to speak of a human being. You see, porn totally dehumanizes a person, just a body on a screen or a lump of meat to be drooled over for your own satisfaction. This could not be further from God's magnificent, majestic, and grand design for sex, which is to be enjoyed within the committed, lasting, covenant relationship between a man and a woman. As Tim Chester goes on to say, real sex, as God intended, is the celebration and climax, quite literally, of a relationship it's part of a package that includes talking together, sharing together, deciding together, crying together, working together, laughing together, and forgiving each other. You see, sex isn't primarily recreational for me to pick up and put down as I will, it's relational. It is committed, it's binding between two people. It's not about self-gratifying, it's about self-giving. It's not what I can get from somebody or something. It's what I can give to somebody else within the context of that loving, committed relationship, which is why porn totally demeans and distorts God's good design for sex because it rips it right out of its rightful context, its moorings, if you like, in God's covenant's love. Porn damages people, it distorts God's good design for sex, and it also deceives. To deceive, you see there on the screen, is to make things appear what they are not. That's what deception is to make things appear what they are not. And you see there on the screen a little picture of a motor. A little VW Golf 2007 Reg, I think. And as someone doesn't know a lot about cars and probably wouldn't check over a car if I bought it, I'd look at a picture like that and think, that's a pretty tidy little motor. I'll take that. It's all right. VW, faithful, reliable little car. No problem. The reality, of course, is very different. That picture on the screen is actually two write-offs that have been welded together. It's basically two cars that have been in serious accidents botched together to make something that looks safe and reliable. So you look at that and you think, oh, yeah, that's fine, I'll have one of those. But, of course, the reality is very different. What you see is not always what you get. Deception can be a very dangerous thing. And Satan, of course... Is the king of deception, isn't he? It's what we've been thinking about in the spiritual battle series that we've just finished last week. Back in Genesis chapter 3, God made the perfect world a good world, a world for God's people to enjoy, and there was nothing that they did not want. It was all there for them. But Satan, of course, wanders into God's beautiful and perfect creation. And he says to Adam and Eve that God is keeping something good from you. There's something else to be had that God is keeping from you. Something better that God does not want you to have. And sadly, Adam and Eve listened to that lie, and we've been reaping the consequences ever since. Have a look at Genesis 3, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Why do they eat? They ate because they were deceived. It's the way Satan worked then and it's the way that he has been working ever since. What the fruit was to Adam and Eve, pornography is to so many today. The promise of more. It promises so, so much but delivers so little. As one author said, porn promises big time but fails to deliver every time. It promises intimacy, comfort, and relief. It delivers loneliness, pain, and guilt. Here's the point sin will not satisfy, porn will not bring lasting pleasure. It's a lie. It is a downright lie. It is the great deceptive work of Satan. Yes, it might bring a fleeting moment of exhilaration, but it will leave people's heart feeling hollow and empty, ripped in two, torn with guilt, lonely and in despair. It is the great deceptive work of Satan. And so next time your hand is hovering unhelpfully over a mouse, or next time you're channel flicking late at night, or next time maybe you're just skimming through that woman's magazine and you come across one of those naughty stories in there, then please remember the truth that it's a deception. It will not satisfy, and it will not bring lasting pleasure. Porn damages, distorts, and deceives. And that's the reality, and we could talk for a lot longer. And as I look out, faces are glum, and they should be because porn is a very destructive thing, which is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't even hang around to entertain the thought. Get your trainers on and run. Run. And where do you run to? You run to Christ. Because in Christ there is forgiveness. In Christ there is freedom. In Christ... There is fullness of life. Jesus forgives, frees, and fulfills. You see, for many, this ongoing battle with porn leads to a sense of private shame and despair. Could I say if that is you, or if you know somebody that's in that position, then real, lasting change is possible. Because Jesus is real, and his forgiveness is. Is real. I look at Romans eight, verse one. What a beautiful promise this is within God's word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see that little word that I've underlined that is often missed? Right now right this very moment however your day has been if you're in Christ right now there is no guilt no condemnation for those in Christ you may have looked at porn this afternoon you may drift off to sleep tonight with a whole host of unhelpful images playing through your mind hear the promise of Romans chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Conviction of sin, yes, that's right, that's good, that's the Spirit's work in our heart. Conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has died for our sin, past, present, and future. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who was without sin, the only sexually pure human being that has ever lived without any sin, Jesus, became sin. Took upon sin on his own shoulders for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now hear this next line, because it might be rough to your ears, but it's reality, because this is what the cross does. On the cross, Jesus Christ was treated as a porn user and abuser. Because the sin of the redeemed was laid upon the shoulders of the Lord Jesus. Every sin, all of our sin, sexual sin, the whole lot, past, present and future, laid to the account of the Lord Jesus that he might die in our place to bring us perfect forgiveness. My sin, not in part, yeah? Not in part, not a bit of my sin, not everything but my sexual sin, my sin, not in part, but the whole, all of it, laid to the cross and I bear it no more. Oh, it is well, it is well with my soul when we understand the wonder of what the Lord Jesus Christ did at the cross for us. And for our sin, Jesus forgives wonderfully and he frees fully. You see, we don't only need freedom from the guilt of sin, from condemnation, we need freedom also from the grip of sin. And wonderfully, the gospel provides both. Have a look at this little verse here, and on the back of Peter's Pentecost sermon in Acts 2, verse 38. Peter's preached the gospel and those listening are cut to the heart. They're convicted of their sin, of what they have done and contributing to the death of Jesus. And they say, what do we do? They say to each other, what do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the twofold promise that comes with repentance forgiveness of sin, free from the guilt of sin, but also the gift of the Spirit, freedom from the grip of sin. Forgiveness brings a totally new start in life, and the Spirit that comes to indwell our hearts gives us a new power to fight sin and to walk in obedience and purity for the sake of Christ. You see, there's one thing that I know for sure this evening. If you're a Christian and you're struggling in this area, you hate it. You might still be doing it, but you hate it. Because that's the battle we read of, isn't it? in Galatians chapter five, the, the tug of war between the flesh and the spirit, the old man and the new man, and that old life pulling us back and tugging us back into the old ways. Yet we've got a new heart, we're a new creation, we've been filled with the spirit, and this is tug of war all the time going on in the human heart. But you know what? It is a battle that the spirit will ultimately win. Do you remember our verse that we began with, that great promise? And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image, which comes with ever-increasing glory. However hard the battle for you right now in this area or any other area, what God has started in the human heart, he will finish. He will bring it to that moment of wonderful glorification in heaven. But until that day arrives... God's spirit is winning little bit by little bit in the human heart to give us freedom from the grip of sin. Jesus forgives. Jesus frees. And lastly, Jesus fulfills. You see, we've already looked at the empty promises of this world, haven't we? Porn promises big time, but fails to deliver every time. Jesus, in contrast, promises big time and delivers every time. As Jesus himself says in John 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or to paraphrase Jesus for our benefit this evening, porn comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, says Jesus, that they may have life and and have it to the full. Porn steals, porn kills, and porn destroys life. The Lord Jesus Christ came to bring life, and life in abundance, and life in all its fullness, which is really important. Because when it comes to this battle against sin, we need to understand that battling porn isn't an exercise in denying ourselves pleasure. It's about fighting pleasure with a greater pleasure. It's by being captured by a better vision of life. As John Piper says, the fire of lust pleasure must be fought with the fire of God's pleasure. If we try to fight the fire of lust with prohibitions and threats alone, even with the terrible warnings of Jesus, we will fail. We must fight it with a massive promise of superior happiness. We must swallow up the little flicker of lust pleasure in the conflagration of holy satisfaction. I don't even know what conflagration means. Don't even know. But you get the point, don't you? pleasures in Christ, the joys of knowing Jesus, the experience of walking daily with Christ will snuff out those pathetic pleasures that the world offers. Saying stop to people, prohibitions just won't work. I'm struggling with pornography. Oh, that's wrong. Stop it. Thanks very much. People know it's wrong. People need to be captured by a better vision. People need to hear that the satisfaction of following Christ, of walking his way, of seeking obedience and purity, far outweighs any rubbish pleasure that the world can offer. Lust pleasure dwarfed in a conflagration of holy satisfaction. Jesus alone forgives. Jesus alone frees. And Jesus alone fulfills. We've looked at the reality, right? Pre depressing. Porn damages, distorts, and deceives. We've looked at the remedy. Jesus and Jesus alone forgives, frees, and fulfills. And lastly, I know it's hot, but stick with me. We're going to think about our own responsibility right now as we draw up a battle plan for living porn-free and for helping each other if indeed this is a struggle for us. It's a battle plan that I've stolen and adapted from a book on the reading list called Every Man's Battle, Uh, There was three parts where I've added a fourth part, which worked for me. We'll see if it does for you as well. And the first thing is this, build a defense with your eyes. This is the first part of the battle plan. And you see there from Job 31 verse 1, this is what Job says. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Job made a promise with his own eyes and a promise to not not look lustfully at a woman, to prevent these unhealthy, unhelpful images entering our mind. The eye is the first line of defense. And of course, we cannot blot out everything, but we can help ourselves and we can help each other. There's a few applications that I'm going to make here. No doubt you can think of many more, but here's the first one. What about setting up controls on your computer? Programs such as Covenant Eyes that you can read about, again, in the resource paper there. It's not just a filter system that prevents you looking at certain websites. Everything that you look at on the web, it emails an accountability partner. So your friend or wife or whoever it is will get a list every single week of everything that you've looked at on the web. It's just a way of keeping yourself accountable. It's not perfect. It's not going to work on its own. But it can be a helpful line of defense in the eyes. What about charging your phone downstairs overnight? For most people I speak to, their biggest moment of weakness is just before bed. Tired, end of a long day, go upstairs, tired but not tired, just sitting around flicking through the phone, and that's when it often begins. Just charge your phone downstairs if it's an issue. Get on them big old-fashioned alarm clocks back in your room. Charge your phone downstairs if that's going to help you build a defense with your eyes. Cancel the catalogs. For some men, I've heard that it began with looking at the lingerie section in the Littlewoods catalog. That's where the struggle began. Get rid of them. Do you need them? No, of course you don't. And what about just putting a little rule in your lives? TV after 10 o'clock, not for me. If this is an issue or a struggle, that's when most of the unhelpful stuff comes on. So 10 o'clock's my deadline. That's when the TV goes off, full stop. Help me. Help me do that. And there's loads of other things you can do. But here's the point. Practically, do whatever you can do to help yourself or avoid seeing these unhelpful, broken images. On its own, of course, that's not enough, is it? Which is why There's a second line of defense. Build a defense in your mind. And you see the verse up there on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, however effective that first line of defense is, there will be things in your head that are not helpful. Maybe past images you can't get rid of. Maybe things you just see because it's there in the world of billboard as you're going down the road. But what we need to do then, says the Apostle Paul, is take captive that thought that's in our mind and make it obedient to Christ. I don't ponder that thought. Don't let it run wild in your head. The mind, you see, is the watchman for the soul. If our mind is not on guard, if our mind is not alert, if our mind is not watchful, then our soul is in trouble. You've no doubt heard the phrase, you are what you eat. Yeah? You've heard that phrase often spoken of physically. I, if I eat rubbish food, if I eat McDonald's three meals a day for the next three months, I will become a physically unhealthy specimen. I am what I eat. It's the same spiritually. If I feed my mind with unhealthy thoughts, if I think about those things, I become more like those things. It's the same spiritually. So, what do we do? We starve our mind of those sinful thoughts by filling it with the glory of God and the wonder of His grace. Set your minds on things above, right? where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think about the glory of the world to come. Think about the majesty of the cross. Ponder these things. Meditate upon the riches and the wonders of God's word because as you do, these glories will begin to extinguish those other sinful thoughts that are running through our minds. Build a defense in your eyes. Build a defense in your mind. Romans 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where the battle Often begins, and then thirdly, build a defense in your hearts, for from within, says Jesus, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from where inside a person and make them unclean. We often talk about the problem out there in the world, oh, it's just everywhere, I can't escape it. Jesus actually says, look a little closer to home because the real problem is in here. It's in the human heart, which is why we need to learn to wrestle not just with our behaviors, but with our hearts. John Piper in one of his books, again mentioned on the, the resource list, poses this little quandary, he says, How can the Christian life be both a battle and a rest? Because it is, right? The Christian life is a battle, the Bible tells me. And the Christian life is a rest. How can that be so? And Piper says, The greatest battle in the Christian life is to rest in the right place, is to throw your hands up in the air and say, I cannot win this battle on my own. That's my great battle to collapse my confidence into Christ and say he alone by the work of his spirit in my heart can win this battle for me. And that's my greatest battle against my pride thinking I can do it myself. The greatest battle is to rest in the right place, to run to Jesus daily, right? In prayer. That is what we need to do, firstly and foremost. That's where the battle in our heart is won, to flee to Jesus and pray for his help. Build a defense with your eyes, a defense in your mind, a defense in your heart. And lastly, build a defense with each other. This is where we finish our time this evening. God has not designed us to live the Christian life on our own. We need the help of each other, not just in this battle, but in every battle we face as Christians. Have a look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I wonder as a church, are we ready, and are we willing to carry those burdens with each other and to walk through these challenges of life with each other? Because to be vulnerable like that requires both a culture of grace and a culture of confrontation. We need to be full of grace and empathy and care and gentleness. But we also need to look each other in the eye from time to time and ask each other as brothers and sisters in Christ the hard questions of life because there are battles that are unexposed in the hearts that we are walking through life with on our own. We need each other and we need the help of the church. As Martin Luther once said, you can't stop birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair. Sinful thoughts everywhere. We can help each other stop those sinful thoughts nesting in our hair by loving, open, vulnerable accountability with each other. I know that's a lot to take in. And there's a lot of battles to be fought until that day we stand in glory face to face with the Lord Jesus. And on that day, the battles will be no more. But until that day arrives, then we do need the help of each other and ultimately the help of the Lord Jesus. So I do hope that's been helpful for you. I know it's been a long one. I know it's hot and sweating. You're all there fanning your faces. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to sing and then we're going to spend some time praying into these things. And then we're going to sing again to finish. But the song we're going to sing first is Boldly I Approach, and it speaks of being able to come confidently before the throne of good God because of that forgiving work of the Lord Jesus. And there is a little, a little verse or chorus towards the end of this song that says, this is the art of celebration, knowing we're free from condemnation. That's what we looked at in Romans 8, verse 1. One of the great sources of joy causes of joy and celebration in the human heart is to know that we are free from condemnation because of the work of Jesus. So let's stand together and sing boldly, I approach. I thought it'd be good to just spend a few moments in prayer. So you do grab a seat. What we're going to do is just have four or five minutes. It'd be, if you want to sit there and pray by yourself, if you want to turn in twos and threes and pray together, I think that'd be a great thing to do. But, but there's, there's work to be done in prayer. As we pray for purity in our own hearts, as we pray for the purity of this church, as we pray for the purity of the church across the nation. As we pray for our young people and the generations coming through who are faced with an ever-increasing challenge and amount of unhelpful stuff that is out there in the world. So let's spend some time praying into some of these things, use some of the verses that we've looked at, pray in some of these promises Of God's word, be it Romans 8, verse 1, 2, Corinthians 3, verse 18. But use some of these words of scripture and pray them into the hearts and lives of each other. And uh, maybe use the time to pray for a few other things in life as well. There's a lot going on in the world at the minute. There's a lot going on in your own lives. So do spend some time praying for purity in this area of sexual purity and pray for any other thing that comes into your mind as well. So let's go for four or five minutes, then we're going to close. By singing again together, so let' let 's turn to the Lord in prayer just before we do uh, sing our last song together, like I said at the beginning, hopefully this is the beginning of the conversation and not the end. So do pick up one of the um, little things that's on the door on the way out, just some resources to continue to read into and think about if you 'd like any more direction that 's not there on the sheet, then just come and come and ask, and I can maybe point you in the direction of a resource that will be helpful for you but let 's remember that at a thirty minute session we've got to be honest with our hearts, a 30-minute session is not going to deal with this issue fully. It needs to be an ongoing work within this culture of vulnerability and accountability as we open up to each other and as we walk through life with each other. So it's my prayer that as a church family, we begin to do that, not just in this area, but in a whole host of other areas in uh, church life. And after service is finished, there will be a uh, a few drinks and, and cakes through in there that designed for some of the, the younger generations just to come through. If there's anything specific, maybe in your reflections that you'd like to ask on the back of the ceiling. So if you consider yourself young, then you're more than welcome to to wander through and get a cake and have a drink and ask some of those uh, questions through out the back there. But we're going to finish our time together by singing a great hymn, Love Divine or Love's Excelling, And there's a wonderful line in this verse, which we'll all be familiar with, which is a prayer, really, take away my love of sinning. And that's our prayer, isn't it? That God would change the desires and the attitudes of our heart He would give us a a longing to follow him fully in every area of our lives. He would take away our love of sinning. And then the final few lines, change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. So let's stand together and sing this great hymn as we finish. So I'm going to finish by reading that great promise that we started with in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen.